bless you. You may all be seated. All right. Um, on um, Monday, when um, I got the information that um, I was going to be the one that will be taking drive today, um, I was like, okay. Normally, uh, at times, I will get uh, uh, more notice. So Monday, I, I was already out of the house. So I was booked for the whole day. So I said, okay, no problem. So I started thinking immediately, what would, what would I talk about or what, what, what would I share today? And um, I thought about sharing about prayer. And uh, so I, I said, okay, that's what I'm going to share about. And yesterday I was trying to prepare. It just wasn't flowing, you know, it wasn't flowing like I expected. And I said, okay, maybe what God wants me to think, I'll talk about something else. So this morning... I jared up my mind, okay, I'm just going to prepare something else. And when I woke up, I received in the workers' group a video that just propelled me back and said, no, 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 this is what we need to talk about today. So we just have that video right now. And uh, I mean, I believe it's a confirmation just to, for us to know that, yes, we are on course and we should talk about prayer today. Let's have the video. We have been talked out of prayer. You know, the, the enemy tries to convince Christians these days, oh, there is too much prayer. You guys pray too much. Now the question is, why is it of interest to you? Is it disturbing you? The necessity of prayer cannot be overemphasized. The necessity of prayer cannot be overemphasized. If the enemy can talk you out of prayer, the enemy will have succeeded, but he will fail in the name of Jesus. If the enemy can convince you out of the place of prayer, the enemy just needs to go and throw a party because it's, it's auto-run, everything that happens next. Praise God. All right, so when I saw that, I said, okay, then I am on course. Then I immediately went back to what I wanted to share before. So today we'll be talking about time to pray. But before we get into the, um, what we'll be discussing today, I think we, 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 we need to pray, especially for this country, Nigeria. Uh, this week has been a very interesting week, both internationally and uh, locally, especially around us here. And I, I, I think it's appropriate for us to lift to, to, to pray for this country. Or don't you think so? Don't you think so? So maybe if you could just do me a favor, let's rise up on our feet. We just do a few minutes of prayer, a few prayer points, and um, we trust God because He's the one that answers prayers. It's our job to pray, and it is God's job to answer. Amen. Amen. All right. So let's just start out by just thanking God for our life. Let's thank Him for. Even preservation, even this period when things are just going awire, just thank God. Let's lift up our voices and really appreciate him. Father, I just thank you, Lord. I'm so, so, so grateful for all you're doing, oh Lord, in our lives. Ah, Father, I thank you for my life. I thank you for my family. I thank you for this church, God's Spirit House. I thank you. Thank you for all you're doing for us. I thank you for this nation, Nigeria. Lord, we can't thank you enough, oh Lord. Thank you for all you're doing in our lives, oh Lord. Father, we thank you. We are grateful. We are grateful. We are grateful for your love concerning us. Thank you. Thank you for your love, for your mercy over us as a nation. Father, we appreciate you. We cannot thank you enough, oh Lord. We are grateful, oh God. We appreciate you. Father, we say thank you. Thank you, thank you. Oh, be exalted, oh Lord. Be exalted, our King, oh Lord. Marika We thank you for every Nigerian on the face of the earth. We thank you for every Nigerian, wherever it is they may be. 
Lord, we are grateful. We are grateful. We are grateful, O oh Lord. We thank you specifically even for our own family members, our loved ones scattered all over the world. Thank you for preserving them, for watching over them. Lord, we are grateful, O oh God. We thank you. We thank you. We are grateful. We cannot thank you enough, O oh Lord. Father, we bless your name. We exalt you, O oh Lord. We give you praise. We give you praise. We give you praise, O oh Lord. My Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, we exalt you, oh Lord. We exalt you, our King. We are grateful. We are grateful. Thank you, everlasting Father. Thank you, Lord, for all you do, oh Lord. Thank you, Father. We appreciate you, oh Lord. Thank you for this nation. Thank you for our leaders. Thank you for all you are doing, oh God. Thank you, Father, for where we were. Thank you, Father, for where we are and where you are taking us, Lord. We are grateful. We are grateful. We cannot thank you enough, O oh Lord. We give you all the praise and all the glory, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. We'll be pleading the blood of Jesus over our lives, over our family, over this nation as a whole. Because, um, I mean, I don't need to emphasize all the things that happen to, to say a lot of things, but we, we are all privy to all the things that are happening. It's needful that we cover ourselves it is very very needful that we soak ourselves our loved ones so that we don't cry unnecessarily it is needful that we lift up our voices and we cover ourselves in the blood of jesus exodus 12 12 and 13 if you can bring it up on the screen let's read it exodus 12 12 and 13 let's read together i want to go for I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. So let's just plead the blood of the lamb over our spirit our souls our bodies over our loved ones let's call them by name let's soak and immerse everyone in the blood of jesus father i plead the precious blood of jesus over my spirit over my soul over my body let's let I plead the blood of the lamb over everything that concerns me over my wife over my Lord, overcome in the mighty name of Jesus. Let the precious and eternal blood let it overcome in the name of Jesus. I plead the blood of Jesus over your church, God's spirit house. I plead the precious blood of Jesus over every member of this church. I plead the blood of Jesus over our pastor, Pastor Femi Munei, over Pastor Damlola Munei. Plead the blood of Jesus over all the pastors, all the ministers, all the members of God's spirit house. I plead the precious blood of Jesus over everyone in God's spirit 
Nazareth house. I plead the blood of Jesus over this nation, over everyone represented in this nation. I plead the blood of Jesus over every tribe, every culture. In the name of Jesus, let your blood, let it overcome in the mighty name of Jesus. Let it overcome in the name of Jesus. And so shall it be. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Isaiah 60, 15 and 16, Amplified Version. Isaiah 60, 15 and 16, Amplified Version. Let's read together. Where we see Jerusalem, we'll replace it with Nigeria. Right? Let's read together. I want to go. Whereas you, Nigeria, have been abandoned and hated with no one passing through, I will make you an object of pride forever. A joy from generation to generation. You will suck the milk of the Gentile nations and suck the breast abundance of kings. Then you will recognize and know that I, the Lord, am your savior and your redeemer and the mighty one of Jacob. Amen. We're going to lift up our voices and pray this prayer that God, that Nigeria right now seems like an abandoned nation, but God will make us an object of pride forever. In the name of Jesus, that from generation to generation, we will suck the milk of Gentile nations and suck the breast, the abundance of kings. Let's lift up our voices and pray. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we come before you and we pray in the name of Jesus, that Lord... You will make Nigeria the object of pride again. In the name of Jesus, you will turn our situations around. You will make Nigeria the object of pride again in the name of Jesus. A joy from generation to generation shall we be. In the name of Jesus, we will suck the milk of the Gentile nations. We will suck of the abundance of kings. In the name of Jesus. We will know you and recognize you as our God. All the days of our lives. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the Zuta Iba Ilekete Ndekete, Maina Manye Nelele Bedebedebedebogoshie Ndebo. Yendele ba italiba kaliendekete. Oh, Satan derekete. Yendele belebele bodobodobodobogoshiendekete. Miende brosiete ndele ba iraha sakata. Yandere basiendekete yenderebo. Yende seto le ba ilohoshiendekete rebedebo. Oh, Satan deke ikali bokoto. Yende heke shianda hatarebo. Thank you, mighty God. And so shall it be. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Verse 17, the same Isaiah 60, verse 17. Isaiah 60, 17. Let's read together. One to go. I will exchange your bronze for gold, your iron for silver, your wood for bronze, and your stones for iron. I will make peace your leader. And righteousness, your ruler. In the name of Jesus, let's lift up our voices and pray for this nation, Nigeria. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray for this nation, this great nation, Nigeria. That, Lord, you will turn our bronze to gold. You turn our iron to silver. You turn our wood to bronze. You turn our stones to iron. In the name of Jesus, you make peace our leader. In the name of Jesus, and righteousness shall be our rulers. In the name of Jesus, maika iba halende Lord, in the name of Jesus, at this point, we know it is only you that can do this, O oh Lord. We pray in the name of Jesus. Turn our bronze to gold, O oh Lord. Make peace our leader. Righteousness our ruler. In the mighty name of Jesus. Mahita limba ina haniende rekete ndekete. Yende broshiere batokoto. Yende baira hasan dekete. Landa sati ndekete ndekete debedebedebo. Oh, satone gele kete. Yende kete ndekete. 
Maina manien ne ketien de kete de bedebo. Masaton de bayoloko chien de ketien de kete. Yen de brosiara manhattan. Masitan de ketien de broko chien de kete de bo. Randa siende de bodebokoto de bo. Thank you, mighty God. And so shall it be. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Verse 18 says, Violence will not be heard again in your land, nor devastation or destruction within your borders, but you will call your walls salvation, and your gates shall be known as praise. In the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray concerning Nigeria, Lord. Violence will not be heard again in our land, oh God. Neither devastation or destruction within our borders. In the name of Jesus, the walls of Nigeria shall be known as salvation. Our gates shall be called praise in the name of Jesus. People will reach the borders of Nigeria and begin to declare the praise of God for what you are doing in this nation. In the mighty name of Jesus, Nigeria shall be known as a land of testimonies. Nigeria shall be known as a land of God. In the name of Jesus. Our walls shall be known as salvation. People will step onto the uh, 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 people will step into Nigeria and they will get saved in the mighty name of Jesus. They will find you in the name of Jesus. The gates of Nigeria shall return to praise. In the name of Jesus. Violence will cease in this land. No more devastation. No more destruction. In the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, mighty God. And so shall it be. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Finally, um, 2 Thessalonians 1, 6. 2 Thessalonians 1, 6. Amplified version still. Let's read together. One, two, go. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with distress those who distress you. God says it is only just for him to repay those that distress you with distress. So we're going to pray concerning Nigeria. All those causing distress for Nigeria, both internally and externally, Lord, repay them with distress. In the name of Jesus, let's lift up our voices and pray. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, your word says it's only just for you, Lord, to repay distress with distress. Therefore, in the name of Jesus, concerning Nigeria, as many that are causing distress for Nigeria, both internally and externally, my father and my king, Cause a distress for them also in the name of Jesus. Miende broshia kalakatandekete. Yende broshia letore kayalaba. Randiende reboshiende. Yende leba eleboshiende kete. Maina maniende lebo rebogo shiende soto koto. Oh, zatonde reketi eleba irahata. Randa rabasiende kete nderebo. Rasita ila batiende kete. In the name of Jesus. Maina mashiende kete. Oh, you are a just God, oh Lord. Oh, basika yende kete. Cause distress for those that distress us. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, mighty God. Ah, you're the God of awesome wonders. I've tasted of your power. You have shown me. You have shown me so much mercy. Much more than I deserve. Onisha, Onisha, the God of the God of awesome I have tasted, I have tasted of your power. Onisha, Onisha, Shown me so much mercy, much more than I, much more than I deserve. Hallelujah. 
Father, we just want to thank you, Lord. We pray for understanding this nation, Nigeria, Lord. That the name of Nigeria will be restored. Nigeria as a country will be known as a nation of praise to your name. Nigeria will live righteously. Your grace will continue to abound upon us. We lie in your security right now. And we know you will not fail us. Thank you, Lord, for all you're doing and all that you are set to do. We give you all the praise, O oh Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Praise God. All right, we go straight into the study. Um, so, opening question says that, have you ever found yourself in a situation at any point in time where you saw something huge, like a big problem or something tro- troublesome? coming at you and you couldn't help it you're just there you saw it coming but you couldn't help yourself you couldn't do anything about it have you ever found yourself in that, uh, until it arrived and it landed on you have you ever found yourself in that kind of situation before anybody is, wants to be vulnerable wants to share there was something unpleasant that happened to you and you saw it coming, but you just couldn't do anything until it arrived, until it landed. Anybody who wants to share? Amen. Anybody? Nobody wants to be vulnerable today? Or is it a jam question? All right. The reason why I ask is because the story we'll be reading today is about Jesus, what happened to him before he went to the cross. You know, um, if you look at the way Jesus prayed alone before going to the cross, you would know that him going to the cross was a big problem, was a big deal. But he had to do everything, summon himself, stay himself up, pray, did all stuff, to be able to face the challenge of the cross. And he faced it and overcame. Praise God. All right, since there are no, uh, nobody wants to be vulnerable, I would... Read very quickly the text for today. It's a bit long, so please just stay with me and please uh, let's concentrate and just stay with me. And God bless you as you do so. Uh, We'll be reading Matthew 26, 1 to 5, then 14 to 45. Matthew 26, 1 to 5, 14 to 45. I'll read. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, as you know, Passover begins in two days, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. At that time, the leading priests and elders were meeting at the residence of Caiaphas, the high priest, plotting how to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the Passover celebration. They agreed, or the people may riot. Verse 14. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples, went to the leading priests. And asked, how much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. From that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. On On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to prepare the Passover meal for you? As you go into the city, he told them, you will... He told them, you will see a certain man. Tell him, the teacher says, my time has come. And I will eat the Passover meal with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus told them and prepared the Passover meal there. When it was evening, Jesus sat down at the table with the 12 disciples. While they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth. One of you will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, am I the one, Lord? He replied, one of you who has just eaten from this bowl with me will betray me. For the Son of Man must die as the scriptures declared long ago. But how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It will be far better for that man if he had never been born. 
Jesus, uh, Judas, the one who would betray him, also asked, Rabbi, am I the one? This is the one that has already collected 30 pieces of silver. Judas, the one who would betray him, also asked, Rabbi, am I the one? And Jesus told him, you have said it. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, Each of you, drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words. I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. Verse 31. On the way, Jesus told them, Tonight, all of you will desert me. For the scripture says, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter. This very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me. You will deny three times that you even know me. No, Peter insisted. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all other disciples vowed the same. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's son, two sons, James and John. He became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, could you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping. For they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Then he came to the disciples and said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of his word in the name of Jesus. So this story is a popular story. It's something we all, I mean, we all know of how Jesus uh, was betrayed by, G, by Judas and, um, and on. And uh, it was, of course, uh, and uh, after he was betrayed, he was handed over to the high priest and, and for, for crucifixion. We will be starting out with uh, Judas and... The betrayal, specifically looking at how you betrayed him. Verse 14 to 16 says, Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples, went to the leading priest and asked, How much will you pay me to betray Jesus? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. From that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. He was so desperate to betray Jesus to the point that even when Jesus said to them, One of you will betray me. He looked Jesus in the eye as if Jesus didn't know what he was saying. And said, am I the one? I mean, how does that sound? How does that feel? So, I mean, it brings us to the, the next question, which is, have you ever been, I mean, there, there are people that are around us. And their primary assignment in life is just to frustrate us. We know those kind of people, right? Their job is just to frustrate they don't they, they have no other ad- agenda so how do you respond when 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 you meet or you are you find yourself with those kind of people how do you respond anybody wants to share personal experience 
Because usually those people are close people to us. They are usually the closest, and that's usually why we get very disappointed. Judas wasn't, I mean, permit me to say, he wasn't, I wouldn't assume that he's one of just the disciples. You know, there are some disciples that you don't know, their, their names are not like very popular, like, like James, John, you know, Peter, Andrew, like Thaddeus, not very, very popular, but he's one of the disciples. Judas was also one that, he was the treasurer, he was holding the funds, so he's a very important person. You would assume he's very close to Jesus. But here he was, he was, was the one that was, as in, <laughs> wanted to finish Jesus. Uh, uh, David says in Psalm 55, 12 to 14, he says, it is not an enemy who taunts me. I could bear that. It is not my foes who so arrogantly insult me. I could have hidden from them. Instead, it is you, my equal, my companion, my close friend. What good fellowship we once enjoyed as we walked together to the house of God. This was David crying out his heart, saying, "Ah, ah, of all people to betray me, you, my close friend. But the reality is that that is how life is. So does anybody have an experience they want to share with us? Maybe you've had a situation where someone close to you had betrayed you. We'd like to know how you responded. Because that would... that, that would lead us to the next thing we'll talk about. Anybody? You've been betrayed by a close friend in the past. Anyone? Nobody? Okay. I wanted to... I thought all of us are surrounded by 11 disciples. You know, you've already eliminated Judas. <laughs> all right. Yes, sir. Yes, Good ma'am. evening, sir. Yes, ma'am. Um, what I do is... I just leave the person for God. Mm. I don't react. So, so many times people will want me to like talk back, meet this person, tell this person, and I'll be like, no. I think when God d- does it for me, do it for me on my own behalf, it goes a long way. It may take a while, but at the end of the day, the person, I discover the person comes around and I start apologizing mm. without me reacting at all to it. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay. Pastor Lamde also has a comment. Pastor Lamde. Stephen. Thank you very much. Okay. Praise the Lord. I just want to share an experience of when I was betrayed by a very supposedly um, close friend. It was my final year in the university and um, we're quite close. And so she was in a relationship and um, final year close to um, when we were having exams was when the whole thing broke down, you know, so, and she was really, she was badly affected. And um, normally when I'm reading and preparing for exams, I always write my points down. I take my jottings and that's what I read a week to exams or five days to exams. And I can't survive without those notes, you know, those summaries. But this girl was really down she couldn't really read. So what I did was, well, let me just give you all my own summaries so that you can, you know. So I gave everything to her, and she was really grateful. She passed her exams. But it was the same final year that, you know, I was um, getting ready to get married. And then immediately after our exams, as, as soon as I dropped my pen, you know, I think it was the following weekend that we got married. And then went on honeymoon. And then while there, I had one or two issues with um, my results. So some friends told my friend then that they felt was my, well, you have to tell Amide quickly, this is what is happening. She needs to come back to school quickly. And she told one of them, well, Amide is having fun. She's, she's having fun um, in the moon. So she can't eat her cake and have it. Mm. So when I got back, I discovered what had happened. My lecturer said, why didn't you come earlier? I said, I didn't know. But they said, we sent you a message. And I said, I never got the message. It was, a, it was like a dagger to my heart. And I'm like, I gave this girl all my own notes. And she was able to pass her exams because of all this. You know, it was very painful. I prayed about it. I cried. And um, I chose to love her from afar. Mm. You know, after, after a while, we were still friends. Once in a while, we'd say hello. But after a while, she started making attempts to come back. Today, we are still friends, but we are not as close as... 
we used to be. Most of she's not even in the country anyway. So. Awesome. So trust is broken. Awesome. Praise God. Let's put our hands together for those people. All right. So um, I, I also have an experience. Uh, a, a couple of years ago, my, I was working in a bank and I had a colleague that we were, so we were on the same level, well, practically doing the same job. And uh, we're supposed to be like a tag team partner. That's, that's the way I, I mean, because I just changed jobs. It uh, was a bank. I just changed jobs at that time. The bank I was coming from was a family-oriented bank. Everybody was chummy chummy. Everybody was watching each other's backs. You know, so I just assumed that that was how life was, that everything, everybody's supposed to be, you know, watch your back, I watch my back, you know. And, uh, sorry, I watch your back, you watch my back. That's how I just assumed. So I got... Involved, aside, I mean, uh, uh, interacting with this, my colleague in the same office, same department, same units. And we had a meeting. I was supposed to give him something. And we agreed in the meeting that I was going to give him. It was a weekly meeting. But for some reasons, throughout the entire week, we were together, all through. He never asked me for it. And I actually just forgot to give him. And... The next week's meeting came, the issue came up, and our boss at that time asked, okay, so what happened? And he looked straight, he didn't even look at me, he looked straight at the boss. You told Kunle to give me, Kunle for reasons best known to him, refused to give me, I don't know, I can't explain why, and he kept a straight face looking at the boss, like as if he asked me, I still can't remember, as I'm talking to you, I can picture how everything, because it was such an impression on me, like, can someone be so mean? But I learned very quickly that life can be like that. Amen. You know, so it was almost the same thing that Jesus was facing here. And it just tells me that we will face such things, such people in life. So, but how did Jesus undo uh, Judas confronting him, pretending to be his friend? What did he do? He said to himself, the battle is the Lord's. He said, the ba- I mean, that's where I say, he said, the battle is the Lord's. First Samuel 17, 47. First Samuel 17, 47. It says, uh, it, this was uh, David telling Goliath. He says, and everyone assembled here. Yes, this was David. It says, and everyone assembled here. I was talking to Goliath. It says, and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear, not with tactics, not with strategy to con and out, outshine your colleague, but the Lord does not rescue his people with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. This was David's assurance. Because he knew that every battle he faces is the Lord's battle. The children of Israel in 2 Corinthians 2015, 2 Corinthians 2015, the children of Israel were surrounded by enemy nations. They had come to fight them. And the same issue came up when the Spirit of the Lord came upon a guy, a guy called Jehalil. He says, He said, Listen to all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. I want to assure someone here today. Whatever struggle that you are facing, the battle is not yours. And God will fight the battle for you in the name of Jesus. As individuals, as people, at times we struggle with letting God fight our battle. We want to step in at times. We want to do it ourselves. But here, the word of God today, the battle is the Lord's. So what are the benefits of letting God fight your battle for you? A few benefits, just a few. What are the benefits of letting God fight your battle? Benefit number one is that when you let God fight the battle for you, it ends up being an easy victory. Ends up being an easy, very easy victory. I'll read very, very quickly Second Chronicles 20, 
if you can put it on the screen, but fantastic. Second Chronicles 20, 16 to 25. It says this same story of uh, the children of Israel when two, three enemy nations gathered together to come and fight them. Tomorrow, march out against them. You will find them coming up through, this, uh, through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jeruel. But you will not even need to fight. Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. Then King Jehoshaphat bowed low with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same, worshipping the Lord. Then the Levites from the clans of Kohath and Korah stood to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud shout. Early the next morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, Listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets, and you will succeed. After consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him, praising him for his holy splendor. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. At the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. The armies of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies from Mount Seir and killed every one of them. After they had, after they had destroyed the army of Seir, they began attacking each other. So two, there were three armies. Two of them ganged up together to fight one. When they had finished destroying that one, then the two of them turned against each other and started taking each other out. I mean, who else can do this other than God? How do you explain that? The three of them came together to fight Israel. But God just scattered their plans. So they began attacking each other. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. King Jehoshaphat and his men went out to gather the plunder. They found vast amounts of equipment, clothing, and other valuables, more than they could carry. There was so much plunder that it took them three days just to collect the plunder. Don't you like this kind of fighting? That's what they call easy battle. Easy. Just leave it for God. It's when you, that, and that's one, one major benefit of letting God fight for you. It ends up being an easy victory. You don't have to stress yourself. You're not even, they, they didn't even have to, the only work they had to do was to carry plunder. I like that kind of work. I like, I mean, I, I, mean, I like that kind of work. Beautiful work. Second benefit of letting God fight your battle for you is that it always, it become, it, the, when you let God fight your battle, it becomes a conclusive battle. It's a battle that you won't have to continue tomorrow. It's a battle you won't have to continue tomorrow. Verse 24 says, So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. Not a single one. That's what happens when you let God fight. Because God does what he does totally, completely. He doesn't leave uh, remnants. Okay, you know, because if, if one or two escapes, they can go and form an army again. Five years, ten years after, they come back again and say they want to revenge. Like Indian film. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But with this, when God steps to fight your battle, there's no chance for that. It becomes a conclusive battle. Signed, sealed, concluded, done. That will be your story in the name of Jesus. Number three benefits to let, for letting God fight a battle is that when we let God fight a battle... It doesn't cost us anything. It doesn't deplete our resources. They went there. You know, it doesn't deplete our resources. One of the major issues that um, 
um, some citizens of America have with the United States government in the past is that they spend too much money on war and it's making them just be, I mean, their, 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 their funding for war is out of the roof. Because war, battle, costs. But when God wants to fight your battle, it doesn't cost you nada. When God wanted to fight the battle for the Israelites against Goliath, it cost David only three stones that he picked from the floor. Hallelujah. And that's what it is when you leave God to fight your battle for you. Does it cost you? Because God is more than able. He is more than able. And final benefit, last benefit for letting God fight your battle is that when God fights your battle, you don't owe anybody any explanation. You don't have a situation where you have to explain to yourself, uh, explain to, as I was saying this now, I just remembered, um, (laughs) this is a joke, I'll share it very quickly. But it happened to me. You know, um, when I was in primary school, I was an Ajebo, 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 I pack it a little now. But I was an Ajebo. I was in an Ajebo primary school. Then my parents moved to a particular place that was not very Ajebo-ish. So there was not plenty Ajebo schools in that area. So I had to go to one public school. Public school was still good then, but I had to go to a public school. So there was this guy in my class who was just beefing me because I could speak very good English. You know? And all the teachers were just liking me because I was doing well, you know? So one day, he challenged me to a fight. And I took up the challenge. And we went behind the classroom to fight. And you know how the story ends, Avi. <laughs> you know, as an Ajebo, I used to watch Chinese films and all those things. So I was just doing all the Chinese. <laughs> Meanwhile, I was, I was doing... It was giving me blow. Po, po, po. So he hit me like this. Po. I said, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what am I bringing all this story is that when, when we were done and one teacher came to rescue me thank God I, God thank God for that teacher one teacher came to rescue me so what happened was the question the guy couldn't speak English I just started when I said this, I started speaking English the teacher listened to me you what happened um, um, they just started flogging him <laughs> praise God when you let God fight your battles, you don't owe anybody an explanation. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Ah, we have so much to cover. Praise God. All right, I'll run faster now. All right, so when Jesus had gone through all this process with, uh, with, with um, Ju- Judas, he allowed God to... Con- take control. So the next thing they did was they moved in to go and take their pa- the Passover. Now, f- Passover today is what we will call Holy Communion. Right? That's what we call Holy Communion. So, very briefly, I've written a few. What, qu- question What does the Holy Communion represent to you? What does Passover represent to you today when each time we say okay we want to take holy communion questions what what does it mean for you i've written if uh, i've left lines there that I, I want us to fill out i have some that i'll talk about but i know it's not exhaustive but i wanted to ask what does it mean to you when you take holy communion what, what does that mean to you anybody choir if it's pastor that's here now you people raising up your hand just kidding all right, anybody? What does Holy Communion represent for you each time you take it? All right, there's someone in front here. Yeah? Anybody else? Ah, so we just take Holy Communion. We don't know what it means. Hmm? Praise God. Um, it represents a lot of things, but um, two most important things point out to me. The first one is, um, you know, partaking in the death, the resurrection, everything that has to do with the death and the resurrection of Christ, you know, remembering 
what he did on the cross of Calvary for me. You know, and then secondly, if we look at the book of Leviticus, it talks about the life being in the blood. You know, so when I partake in the Holy Communion, I believe that the power that lives in Jesus is being transferred to me. So it's like an empowerment. Amen. You know, a transfer. Praise Amen. God. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. So maybe you, you saw my notes earlier. Because that's actually number one and number two that you just picked out. So the first one is the power to live. The Holy Communion, any time we take it, any time we partake in, in the Holy Communion, that we eat the body and the, the, the body of and the, and the, and the, we eat the body of Christ and drink the blood of Jesus, we we have the power, we get the power to live. You know, uh, John 6, 55 and 58 says, For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in him, in me, and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. This is what Jesus is saying. And Leviticus 17, 11 says, For the life of the body is in its blood. I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. It is the blood given in exchange for your life that makes purification possible. So we're saying that it is the blood that causes healing. Okay, so I'll run fast. Or anybody else has anything you want to add to it? I'll run fast. The third thing that the Holy, uh, that the Holy Communion represents for us is that the Holy, Spirit, Holy Communion represents cleansing and purification. Cleansing and purification. Um, Hebrew 9.14 says, Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our conscience, consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For the, by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. As a perfect sacrifice. There's no other sacrifice that can be made for the cleansing of our sins. So every time that you partake in the Holy Communion, the Passover, what you are saying is that you are getting cleansed afresh. You are getting purified. Amen. Matthew 26, 28 says, For this is my blood, which confirms the covenant. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Praise God. Holy Communion also represents, in Exodus 12, 13, it represents the ability for you to get protection from your enemies. Exodus 12, 13 says that, but the blood on your doorposts, will serve as a sign, marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. This plague, sorry, this plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. Praise God. This plague of death will not strike you when I, when I strike, will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. Fifth, thing that the Holy, uh, Holy Communion brings to us is that the, it gives us the power to forgive. When we take the Holy Communion, it gives us the power to forgive. The power to forgive. He's so rich in kindness. Uh, Ephesians 1.7. He says he's so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and gave his, us, gave our, um, and forgave our sins. So each time that we drink the blood... What we're getting, the energy, the power we're getting is the power to forgive. The power to, to receive the forgiveness of God. Because you see, the truth is that as human beings at times, when we do things that are wrong, even though we know God can forgive us, we actually don't forgive ourselves. And we struggle, we stay in that place. But when we take the holy communion, when we, when we partake in, the, in the, eating the flesh and body of Christ, we... We receive that power in the name of Jesus. Revelation 12, 11, number 6. Revelation 12, 11 says, We also receive the power for victory. And they have defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Praise God. So, there are more lines there. Um, I say that each time, I mean, and this, this is... Uh, this, the last time we took communion, this was the revelation that I got for personally. I don't know if uh, you guys also, anybody else uh, received something. For me, when we were taking 
the Holy Communion. It was like I was being energized for, the, for this month to do new exploits. To do new things. These things that I've not done before. Because the life of Christ in me, which, is, which, which makes me come alive, doesn't make me just come alive to remain status quo. It makes me come alive to do new things. And that was the revelation that I got that day. Um, the eighth one I wrote there says that it gives the power to see the supernatural. When you take the Holy Communion, it helps you to begin to see what others cannot see normally. And finally, it also gives you the power to pray. The power to pray. Last week when we were here, Pastor shared with us about why we must stand. And when we stand, we should stand to pray. Um, we'll be concluding on a few of these points. Uh, verse... You know, after Jesus had um, the Passover with... I'm sorry, I'm just rushing. Just give me five minutes. I'll round up now. After Jesus had the Passover with his disciples, the next thing was that they went to pray. They went to the Mount of Olives to pray. And something interesting happened there because when Jesus got to a place, he told them, uh, all you disciples, stay. James, John, Peter, follow me. This is why he's close... Uh, allies. He said, follow me. So they, even at that, they got to a particular point and said, okay, you wait here. Let me just go further to pray. And Jesus went to pray the first time. The Bible says that by the time he came back, they were sleeping. I've asked myself, because that's actually one of the challenges at times that we have when we, as Christians, we all want to pray. But at times, we get too tired to pray. Because if you look at these disciples here, the Bible says that they went to the Mount of Olives. Mount of Olives is not flat ground. It's a mountain that they climbed. That's not easy work. It was at night. They must have been awake all day. So they actually had gone through a lot they were tired, genuinely tired. But Jesus still expected them to pray. So I asked myself, so what happens when I am really tired and I really should pray? What should I be doing? What should I be doing? So a few things that we will learn here, very, very, I'll just run through them. Now, let me say up front, some of these things... I don't have a Bible scripture to back them up. So if I say them, you don't like it, please, just delete it. Assume I didn't say it. But if it works for you, awesome. Praise God. Hallelujah. So what did they do? Verse 37 says, Jesus, first of all, took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, and he became anguished and distressed. Praise God. So when you want to pray and you are tired, what I say from this is that, Look for someone to pray with. Look for a partner that you can pray together. When you are in a group, let's assume, like, everybody's going to work today. It's been a long day. I mean, I even respect a lot of you that you are here for tribe. I mean, some people will say they're tired, they're going home. And it's understandable. But you stress yourself, you come here, God will bless you for that. Amen. But it could have actually been a, a vigil day. Let's assume it's our GWDIA vigil week. People come, they're tired, genuinely tired, they're struggling. So what do you do? What do I advise? Pick a partner when you get to the vigil. Or even if it's at home, you want to pray personally and you are tired, get someone. Talk to a friend, talk to a partner, talk to your wife, talk to your husband. Tell them you want to pray. They should remind you or should wake you up to pray or tap you if you are sleeping and praying. Let them tap you if they are there. Be, a, be able to do the same thing for the other person. You realize that two becomes better than one. And you'll be able to pray. Praise God. Second thing you need to do is to pray out loud. Hebrews 5, 7 says, While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. 
So it's important that when we want to pray, we lift up our voices and cry out loud. Cry out loud doesn't mean shout like that. This is what I tell myself. When I want to pray, I pray to the point where I can hear myself. You know when we're tired, it's easy for us to be praying like this. Very easy, right? Before you know it, you are guaranteed to sleep. Guaranteed. How many of you agree with me? So what do I do? I just, I don't shout to the uttermost, but I pray enough to hear myself. When I do that, what do I, what do I benefit? I ensure that my senses are alert because I'm hearing my prayer points. So I'm focused and I'm awake. It's difficult for you to be talking at the same time to be sleeping. It's a little bit more difficult. A little bit. I know some people are... <laughs> Praise God. So when you pray out loud, it helps you to stay focused. helps you to stay awake. Now, I have scriptures for those ones. The remaining I don't have scriptures for. So third thing you do is that no matter how you are positioned, try not to lean your head on anything. Try not to lean your head on anything. Because once your head rests on anything, when you are tired, there's only one destination, sleep. Praise God. There's only one destination. Try not to lean your head. Like I said, there's no scripture to back this. If you don't like it, delete it. Number four, when you are really, really tired, if you have to sit, try and sit upright. Don't let your back rest. Good. That guy practiced it immediately. Try and sit upright. When you sit upright, it becomes a little bit more difficult to sleep. Just a little bit more. Amen. Number five. Stay away from dim lights. When you want to pray, don't pray in a dark room. Don't put out the light and say, okay, I'll just pray for one hour in a dark room. That one hour will turn to one minute without you knowing. Amen. Don't pray, in a da- don't pray where the light is dim. I heard, I watched in a movie, and I think it's, it's, it's true. I watched in a movie some time ago that part of the training that they give to the U.S. Marines when they are doing some of their trainings, is that they take them on like a two-day intensive workout. Going, practice, shooting, doing all the stuff. Two-day stretch, they don't sleep. Then after that two days, they put them in a room and give them some uh, written exams to write. Then when they've given them the paper, they dim the light. Because what they want to do is to see how they can force themselves you know, all the conditions are perfect for them to sleep. Low light, physically tired, exhausted, two days, no sleep. Then you sit down in a room, no noise, dim the light. If you are not strong, you are guaranteed to sleep. So it's part of the conditions of sleeping. And that's why for most of us, most of us, when you want to sleep, what do you do? You switch off the light. So when you want to pray, don't switch off the light. Switch it on. Amen. Number six, use, I said use percentages. Use percentages. What do I mean? Now, again, this is what works for me. Anything I want to do, I, as I'm doing it, I'm putting it in perspective of percentage. So, if for, exa- for example, if I say um, I want to eat, let's say yam. If you give me four slices of yam. I, thought, I automatically say each yam is 25%. So as I'm finishing one, I say, okay, I'm 25% done. As I finish the second one, I'm 50% done. As I'm finishing the third one, I tell myself 75% done. Same thing, that's what I do. When we want to come, when I want to pray, I set a time before I start. I say, okay, I want to do one hour of prayer. That's 60 minutes. So when I'm done, 10 minutes, I tell myself, I've done 20 minutes. I've done 20%. We all know 20% is failure, right? So I don't stay there. It encourages me to push further. When I've done 20, min- when I've done 20 minutes, I tell myself I'm at 
It encourages me. Okay, I'm almost at pass mark. When I do 30 minutes, I tell myself, I'm at 50%. And that's how I keep pushing and pushing until I achieve 100%. So it keeps me alert. It keeps me focused. Again, there's no scripture to back this. Praise God. Final one. I will say here is that ask Jesus for help. When you want to pray, pray to Jesus to help you to pray. Think about it. Jesus called these three people to join him to come and pray. They got there. They were sleeping. He challenged them. Why are you sleeping? Can't you stand with me? In essence, what he was saying is that if you need help, can't you ask me to help you so that you can pray? Jesus is there waiting for you to help you to pray. Amen. And it's not an abnormal prayer to ask God to help you to pray. Even that is a prayer. But it can be your starting point of your prayer. And I pray that as we do this, God will bless us in the name of Jesus. It is indeed a very, very interesting time in in our life as a country, as a people. And it's very important that we need to rise up and pray. There is a, like Pastor said in that video, the enemy is telling us right now, we've been praying, we've been praying, we've been praying about Nigeria. Is it not enough? It's time for action. No, it is not enough time. It is not, it, we don't have enough prayer yet. The prayer will be enough when God answers us. And God will answer us in the mighty name of Jesus. Any questions? Thank you for listening to this. I want to encourage you to share this resource with your family and friends. God bless you.